Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 26th, 2021, we continue our new series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, A Profound Mystery, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. What Romans 1 is telling us is that people should be able to look at the world and see the design see the complexity and come to the knowledge that someone is greater than them created all of this. Paul says that ability is within every human heart to know that and it's the suppression of that truth, of that knowledge that causes God to exhibit his anger. Suppressing the truth is is picking and choosing what we like or we think is okay and ignoring the rest. It's a very common thing to do in the world. The the world will look at the church and decide, hey, I like this about the church and I like this about the church. I like when they give all their money away. I like it when they feed the poor, but I don't like that when they talk about morality because I don't want anybody telling me I'm right or wrong. Anything less than seeing him and recognize him and worshiping him for who he is, is God-shaping and it reveals idolatry. Because I'm making God into who I want him to be, not who he actually is. Listen, we all worship something. We were created to worship. The question is, is your worship true? Or have you exchanged the truth of God for something that makes you feel more comfortable? I start this message by telling you openly my identity. My identity is real simple. I am a sinner. I am a sinner that is saved by the grace of God. And for those who profess and proclaim Christ in their life, you are too. The sin that we will lay out today, although difficult culturally, difficult uh, politically, is in fact just simply what God's word says. And sometimes we take away some falsehoods from what it's saying as it deals uh, consequentially with Uh, God's wrath being revealed upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness. But ultimately, we live in a systemically evil and fallen world. And in this systemic evil, we are influenced by culture, we are influenced uh, by technology, we are influenced by simply bad parenting. And I say that because as a sinner, I can tell you as I've grown and matured in my faith, there are plenty of things that if I had to do over, I would go back to my daughters and say, I was wrong and this is what God's truth is. So I hope that today's message allows us to process God's word with grace and with the kindness that it is intended to be. Although it is revealing the wrath of God, it is in fact an act of God's kindness. Because justice would be that God would in fact smudge us off of his earth rather than take the time to reveal his anger towards an obstinate and a disobedient people. This is the kindness of God. I'm often asked the question as a counseling pastor, what is the most grievous thing that you encounter? You know, is it the the rampant divorce? Um, Is it... Is it just good old-fashioned sin? And I don't know where to draw the line on good old-fashioned sin. It's all sin. But this one in particular is not only my grievous hurt when I hear it, but it presents the gospel in such a way that it gives me my greatest hope. The grievous sin is this. When a child 
in this particular case, a female child, not even a teenager, an elementary school child comes to me and she says, Pastor Jeff, I believe I'm non-binary bisexual. It pains me to the core of my being. It pains me that culture, and maybe even technology, culture being maybe even her school, our world, our television, our medias, in fact have indoctrinated her to believing this to be true, when in fact it is just simply false. This is a young lady who has never actually experienced anything sexual. She's never kissed anyone never had a romantic relationship, never has processed any of that, but yet society and culture is telling this little girl that she shouldn't know what she is until she decides. This is against God's word. We're going to deal with that confusion that takes place in our society, and what is that confusion? When we look at the perspective of God's created order, I want to point to a particular verse in Ephesians that Paul says. He points to, he's quoting the Old Testament, he's quoting the created order, but he adds something to it here. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God is saying the creative order is between one man, one woman, in marriage, the covenant of marriage where sexual union takes place, that intimacy in that relationship, as well as the transfer of authority. Adam, of course, didn't have a father and a mother biologically, but in fact had a holy God who created him and fashioned him out of the dirt. We start to realize that God is doing a creative order here and is pronouncing that until you leave the authority of your household that you're raised in, You yourself are not your own authority. But he adds this to it in 32. He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to the Christ and church. God is going to point here today to the fall of man in contradiction to his created order that takes away from his glory and our worship of a holy God. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans 1. We're gonna be in 24 through 32 today. In this text, I'll start actually in verse 23, because our first word in 24 is therefore. So let's look like why therefore is there. So, he says, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, because of this, because they exchanged the glory, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow. This is the fallen nature of humanity. Paul is addressing, of course, the Gentiles in Rome at this point, but the application of this is to all humanity without exclusion. That when the fall of man takes place, there is a progression of his depravity. That he in fact will in fact grow in his depravity, in his unrighteousness, in his ungodliness. This is not saying that homosexuality is the chief sin of man. But is in saying as an illustration or as a dramatization that because we left God's created order and design, we pick a perverse design that is most obvious in culture and society and thus reveal the wrath of God upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Paul is getting across that we are in difficult position. In fact, in this state of mind, we are in an impossible position. We ourselves no longer have the ability to be right with God. There is no ability. It's why Jesus says in John 6, no man can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws them unto me. Paul is laying clear before us that at this point of depravity, you have been handed over to a depraved or a debased mind. There is nothing within yourself that can redeem you. We're gonna look at this as well as look at the hope that is given to us. But let me pray. Our Father and our God, as your word tells us in Psalm 25, Lord, would you help us build humility? Would you help us become teachable? That we would trust exclusively in your word and your truth. But Lord, we would not be lured and enticed into culture or what someone else says. But Lord, what does your word tell us and how ought we to live and act? Help us, Lord, to grow in this grace and a greater understanding of your son. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Three times, three times in this text, Paul repeats a sequence and a phase. He'll go from phase one to phase two to phase three. He'll have a sequence that repeats itself. The first sequence is that human beings exchange God for what God had made. That's the simplicity of it. Sequence two is that God hands us over to the thing that we desire. You see, desire lays such a pivotal part in our life. In Genesis, God said to Cain and Abel, sin is crouching at your door and it desires are contrary to yours. And then he gives this command, but you must master it. 
The it is not sin, the it is desire. Learning to control desire, master desire, my fleshly desires. As Paul said here that we've been handed over to our own lust, also desire, right? And James will tell us that temptation comes when we're lured and enticed by our own desire. Desire is the problem. And our desire is not necessarily to worship God, but to worship something, as Pastor Bob spoke about last week. The problem is that when we worship something other than the one true God, God hands you over or hands you up. Fine, do it your way. Let's see how that turns out for you. God is a jealous God who demands and insists that we worship him and him alone. Our question is wrath. What is the wrath of God revealing? It's one thing to think that God's wrath is revealing an outcome, but what God's wrath is revealing is in fact a progression of sin and a progression that leads ultimately to an eternal life separated from God. If we were to look at this in the form of golf, we would say that par is maybe 72. But any score over 72 is moving away from par. The standard that God gives us, par, is that marriage and sexuality is between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. Therefore, anything that is beyond that definition is, in fact, sin. And the wrath of God will be revealed. I'm constantly asked the question, especially from young people, hey, Pastor Jeff, how far is too far? Anything you do sexually or romantically outside of the covenant of marriage is sin, period. We don't like this answer. In fact, it doesn't matter if you're young, we have people in their 60s and 70s who are living together, intimate in a relationship, pretending to be married, but have never, in fact, been married. It's sin. Paul is dealing with this in this context. But look, if you would, well, look at the first opening, right? In 23, he says, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, because of this, God gave them up in the lusts or the desires of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Point one is this, God gave us up for not worshiping him. Because we worship the creature, people, instead of the creator, God gave us up. And he did this by revealing it through our sexual immorality. I think that for many of us, we've dealt with sexual immorality in our life at some particular point, whether it's in a thought or an action, whether it's in an inappropriate relationship. That in itself is God revealing his wrath, his dissatisfaction, his righteous disagreement with how you're living your life because it's not what he designed. That's what he's saying. Look at the sequence, right? In phase one, sequence one, two, and three, right? Here's what we see. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. That's what he's saying, verse 23. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, verse 24. Here's the third sequence. Why did he do this? Why did he hand us over? 
so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Wow. He wants you to feel the effect of your sin, the dishonoring of your bodies. It's this rejection of God's glory. God wills that there will be a consequence of their bodily life into dishonorable deeds. He hands them over, hands them up to impurity. Why? So that their bodies would be dishonored among them. The consequence. The perverse sexual dysfunction or sexual disordering of God's order of things of the entire race of man is revealed in his wrath, his anger, his righteous anger towards a disobedient people because we exchanged creator God for our own pleasure. Any sexual immorality outside of God's original design is perverse. You see, as a society, we say that's too harsh. But that's what God's word just said. The creation order, Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's God's design. Anything other than that is sin. Look at the second phase, starting in verse 25. Because of this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever, amen, that's saying, and we all agree to that, he created us, but we also exchanged the truth, we replaced it with a lie, right? For this reason, because of that, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, and I'll get to this. Why he mentions women first rather than men is very interesting, but I'll get to that. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Remember, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to yours. It's contrary to nature, the way that God made it. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. We'll get to the due penalty. But point number two is God gave us up for worshiping the creature, for worshiping people, which is revealed in this context as a dramatization in homosexuality. It's not saying that homosexuality is the chief or the pinnacle of man's sinful nature. You could replace that with transgenderism. You could replace that with, um, uh, with anything sexually immoral, anything that is not in accordance to God's design. But Paul chose to use the cultural dramatization of homosexuality, which most people would sit there and say, oh yeah, yeah. No, that's going on. That's true. But you look at the sequence again, right? The phase two and the sequence. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's verse 25. It parallels verse 23. They exchanged the glory of God for images, right? Or sequence two of this, for this reason, God gave them over to a degrading or a debased or a passion, right? That's verse 26, which parallels verse 24 when it says God gave them over or gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. 
He's just repeating the sequence. But he's showing that every time he repeats the sequence and God hands them up or hands them over, he's revealing that it gets progressively worse. The man keeps doubling down on his sinfulness and continues to suppress the truth or replace the truth with a lie so that he can give approval without dealing with the difficult issues. Trust me, as a pastor, this is not a subject that I want to stand before hundreds of people or a thousand plus people and talk about. But because we preach God's word, that's what it says. We cannot capitulate or compromise this truth. In sequence three, it says, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and he burned with desire towards uh, one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, right? This is 26b through 27. In verse 24b, he says, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. That's the dishonoring. And so that the dishonoring of the body, Paul had in mind verse 24 and it is specifically referring to homosexual behavior. The third phase starts in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That word ought points to an ethic. What ought to be done is an ethic. What is done determines morality or immorality. But in this, point three, God gave us up to a debased mind, this darkened mind. Some would call it a reprobate mind. It's a sinner's mind. And in this mind, when you've been handed over at this particular point, you are spiritually dead. You're not mortally wounded. You at this point, without the furtherment of the gospel, are dead. You're done. There is no hope. But he gave us up to a debased mind, revealed because we're not acknowledging him as creator God. This is a jealous God who wants to share you with no one and nothing. He wants your wholehearted worship towards him. Look at the sequence again that comes in this. Sequence one of phase three. He says, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. That's verse 28. It corresponds directly with verses 23 and 25. They simply don't want God in their thoughts anymore. We've all wondered what would happen if we removed God from the schools. There it is. We've all wondered if we would in fact remove God from our courtrooms, from everywhere. There it is. Not acknowledging God has God handing us over to a debased mind, a futility of thinking that has no ability on its own to see the beauty and the loveliness of Christ. But the mercy of God is that he reveals it in his wrath so that you can apprehend the contrast between the wickedness of man and the loveliness of Christ. This is an act of God's mercy. Sequence two, God gave them over to a debased mind. That's 28, really part B. <clears throat> that corresponds with verse 24 and also verse 26 
where God gave them over to dishonorable passions. This was God's response because of the universal exchange of God for worshiping the creature, including our own pleasures, the idol of pleasure, the idol of approval, people pleasers, self-pleasers. And then, of course, sequence three, he gave them up, right? He gave them up to do those things which are not proper. That's not his design. Where the women and the men are pursuing inappropriate relationships. So homosexual behavior here is a parallel with dishonoring the body. It's simply not God's design. This reveals God's wrath and his handing us over, handing all of humanity over. But it is God's handover to our desires that ultimately leads us to our greatest hope. I'm gonna show you that, show you the beauty of this. But first, our fourth point, misery loves company. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die because the wages of sin is death, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice practice them. That's like watching our news. Some 14 to 16 times Paul in this text uses the phrase them or their. This isn't an us versus them. This is coming to the realization that such were some of us. That the God of this universe set his redemptive path for you by regenerating your dead, depraved mind with the fullness of his glory in regeneration. Regeneration precedes faith. What you see happening here is that the only hope that we have is that a divine God would interact in our life and give us the ability through the gift of faith to see. Because up to this point, you are dead. <clears throat> we find ourselves giving approval to this world in the smallest, most subtle ways. God handed us over to this reprobate mind, a sinner's mind. And we should be praying that the model of the gospel would bring our nation, would bring this world revival, not more condemnation. Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back in the clouds. But brothers and sisters, you need to stop thinking that he's coming on Air Force One. He is not. The beauty of the gospel is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Do not expect your government to fix our miserable world. But preach the gospel. Live the gospel. 
We cannot join this world. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? So that when the test of these things comes, we discern right and wrong. What is the will of God? That we would worship him. We cannot suppress this truth or even replace this truth with a lie. We can't join them because to join them is to practice what they practice. I struggle with it every single time someone comes to me and says, my pronoun of choice is this. Your pronoun is him because you were born him. You are an XY. You are an XX. This is not an attack upon your community or your culture. It is just simply a proclamation of the truth about Jesus Christ and the gospel of God. Students, do not get sucked into this world that wants to tell you that you are something different than what God made you. Repent of this. Take hold of faith and proclaim Jesus Christ as your Savior. Adults, stop living in sin. Stop living your own sexual immorality. Realize that even the subtlety of it, the, the allowance of it into your household is giving testimony not only to the culture and to technology, but to bad parenting, to bad grandparenting. We must repent and turn to him, period. Look at it, and our greatest fear leads to our greatest hope. We see it in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He starts with the bad news. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not, do not be deceived. Don't get lured and enticed into this. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers. Do you know what a reviler is? This is a person who speaks harsh words. This is a person who speaks the unmentionable to their spouse. Brothers, stop talking to your wives in that way. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Listen to that. And such were some of you. I am a sinner. The only thing that separates me from these people is that the Holy Spirit came in to be regenerated me, gave me the gift of faith, and I responded to him in repentance and faith. There but by the grace of God goes I. We need to look at not them, but at us. And we need to focus on the truth of God's word by not compromising the truth of God's word. We can't join it. <coughs> but my four concluding statements, right, is not only this, right, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. I didn't do it. The spirit of God came into me. When we look at the conclusion here, know that first, the greatest problem of our lives is that we have exchanged the glory of God for everything else. 
that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie in verse 25, that we failed to acknowledge God in verse 28, and he desires that wholehearted worship of him. You realize that if people truly worship God rather than the creature, the people, then no wrath would be necessary to be revealed. I am part of the problem. Secondly, our sexual immorality, and I do mean all forms of sexual immorality, is God's wrath being revealed. That's what Paul's saying. If you have sexual immorality in your life, that is God's revelation to you to repent and to take faith. And we're doing this because we're exchanging the glory of God for other things. You can't break commandments two through 10 without first breaking commandment one. When you make something else more important than the beauty of God, you embrace idolatry and fall into sin. And that sin will progress as God reveals what it does. It tears you apart. People come to me and say, is disease the consequence? Is AIDS the consequence for the homosexual community? No. No, AIDS is not the consequence for the homosexual community. AIDS is the consequence because of all of us. Because of the wickedness of man. Because of the sinfulness of man. Cancer and arthritis, Alzheimer's, and every other disease and every other futility and misery in this world, including and up to death, are a consequence. They're the wages of sin is death. This isn't they did this to us. We did this to us. Now cling to the cross through the gift of faith. You see, that's Paul's point that he's working towards here in this letter. When he gets to Romans 5 and to Romans 8, right in Romans 5, he says, 5 verses 15 and 18, he says, but the free gift, this grace, this faith, is not like the trespass, it's not like the sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 18, therefore as one trespass, one sin, led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification of the life for all men. Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to condemn it. That doesn't mean that it's you and mine's responsibility to pick it up and start condemning. It means that we are to share the gospel because our hope in Romans 8, 20, says this, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, It wasn't God's plan to subject us to fertility, but it was, in fact, because of him who subjected it for hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the God that came into us, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our longing, like Paul's longing to go to Rome, is that hope. 
we should have the mindset of hope that people would come to know Jesus Christ and be set free from the captive of their sinful deeds. Paul's hope is that creation will be set free from its bondage and that it will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. My hope is that that little girl who says she's non-binary bisexual would come to know that that thinking is futile, that that thinking is not of God, that that thinking is of the world, and that is the wrath of God being revealed upon her so that he can make known the riches of his glory on a vessel of mercy. Let's pray for the gospel to grab hold of a dead soul and save them. Thirdly, Paul focuses on homosexuality in these verses because it is the most vivid dramatization in life and it is the most profound confusion between the created design of God and the separation that reveals in the wrath of God. God created you and me as male and female with both form and function. We have purpose. And that purpose is that we were designed for his glory, not ours. Let me try and put it in simple terms. When we look at Ephesians 5, 31, we looked at it earlier, from the beginning, manhood and womanhood existed to represent or illustrate or dramatize the relationship of God to his people. And Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. He said it in Ephesians 5. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, this marriage union between one man and one woman is profound. And I'm saying that it refers, what does it refer to? Christ and the church. The illustration, the dramatization, the man here represents God or Christ. To love his wife as Christ loved the church. To sacrifice everything for her. To see the church as holy and blameless. And to serve her in all its splendor. That's the calling of the Christian life. The woman represents God's people or the church. And the unity in the covenant of marriage represents purity, undefiled with intense, wholehearted worship of a holy God. God means for the beauty of this worship to be illustrated in the right ordering of our relationships. To live out the way that God designed us, not the way that our pleasure takes us. All because we have exchanged the glory of God for images. I love that, how God puts that word in there. He uses the plural word images there. Because we are worshiping the image of the image of the image of the image. We're so far removed from God in our worship that we begin to think in our suppression of the truth that it's actually about me and not exclusively about him. The parallels of this is in 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. 
Or in 26, because of this, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to how God designed it. That's our world, systemic evil. As I invite the worship team and the prayer team up for a time, we're gonna have communion, so I can't think of a more appropriate day for us to have communion than when we think about all that God has done to reveal himself through his wrath and to make us holy before him. But here's my final thought for you. The gospel is the power of God, even unto salvation. The power is for saving a sinner who's been condemned in the debased or the depravity of their mind. And this is an act of God's kindness because it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance and faith. He is the primary causality of your hope, of your salvation. And in return, we return the glory of God to its rightful place where we worship him with wholeheartedness. For he is beautiful and he is holy. This text that we read today is oftentimes used as an attack upon the homosexual community. This text is not a call for our malice or our anger towards those who practice such things. But in truth, it is an opportunity for us to love as God designed us and to worship him as creator God. He says in 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Don't join the culture. Don't join the society, either actively or passively, because love does not compromise the truth, ever. Don't use non-created pronouns because someone wishes you to. But love them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't accept marriage as anything different than what God designed it to be between one man and one woman. Our acceptance, our approval, albeit subtle and passive, will reveal more wrath. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world in his approval and his tolerance, but forfeit his soul? Every time we work to tolerate or accept or to make a wrong right in the eyes of the world, we deny the gospel of grace. We deny to be rightly showing the contrast between the wrath of God and the beauty and loveliness of Christ. Don't miss this subtlety. John Wesley said, what use would we have for the stars if the sun were to shine all day? You see, we wouldn't know to even look for them. But the kindness of God here, the mercy of God here, is that God reveals his wrath upon vessels to show the contrast 
You see, without the darkness, we would never see the beauty of his light. This is an act of God's kindness. Just as we engage in communion. If you didn't grab a communion, I would ask that you would grab one now, or there's some folks around. Just raise your hand if you didn't get it. Students, geez Louise, come on. <laughs> I just play. <laughs> there's plenty of other hands up. But as we grab the elements, I can't think of a better subject than the revealed wrath of God to remember in contrast all that God has done for us. How he has set us free because such were some of us. And he has placed us in his loving kindness to worship him. Now don't be like me and open the, the juice part and pour it all over your front because then you look silly walking out with the blood of Jesus all over you. But start with the cracker on the top, the bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took this bread. He broke it and said, this is my body for you. He sacrificed himself because he loves his bride, the church. And when he broke this, he said, every time we eat it, do it in remembrance of him. In the same way, as you open up the, the juice on this side, Christ took the wine. He says, this is my blood. It is the new covenant. It is this new promise that if you would believe and follow him, you will live for eternity with him. If the spirit is coming upon you to be made to see, to realize for the first time in your life, I'm suppressing the truth. I'm replacing the truth with a lie. Would you cry out from the dark for him to bring his light upon you? That when you drink this, you drink this in remembrance of him. I hope that you see this text in the beauty that is intended. For in the darkness of this world, we see the light and it's in the beautiful name of Christ and the holiness of a holy God. Brothers and sisters, it is a beautiful name, is it not? And he is a holy God. His call for us is to be holy as he is holy, not self-righteous but recognizing that we too are sinners who have been saved by his grace so that we can take that kindness of God and lead people to repentance. May we live our lives to the glory of him. Amen.